Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. to Administrative Static. Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchioni with you. Uh, John, uh, I, I, I tried to get into this uh, a little bit earlier, but uh, uh, I, now we can jump I, full I sensed in you with, champing uh, at the bit. Yes, yes. Uh, to talk about what President Biden did this week uh, with regard to, to student loans. And, and maybe I'll just start, start with this. There is no power in the President of the United States to unilaterally forgive $300 billion of debt. That power does not exist. Full stop. Done. That's just the way that it is under our constitutional system. The president can't spend money. So the only way that this could be lawful would be as if Congress had given the president the power to do this. And I would defy anyone to find statutory authority for the president to forgive $300 billion in student loans. And by the way, John, we were just talking about in the, the, the Loper Bright decision at the D.C. Circuit that that one are, you know, may, may not. Srini Boston said that's not a major question. And, and that seems like, as you say, the area is developing. But OK, possibly there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that this is a major question to forgive three hundred billion dollars in I, student loans. I think the Supreme Court would agree. And the you know, the tricky thing here is that the uh, folks are saying there's a lot of people shooting from the hip about what what uh, the litigation should look like here. I've gotten emails from people saying, why why didn't you guys sue before he did this? Because now there's going to be reliance interests. <laughs> well, first of all, there's a little thing, uh, you know, called ripeness. And I, I, I'm very confident, John, we would have been kicked out on ripeness if we had tried to sue on this a month ago. Because uh, I, I, frankly, I think a, a district judge a month ago would have said, ah, they're not going to do this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, not only that, so it wasn't right because no one had been harmed and it hadn't been, it happened. So the doctrine of rightness is, is that you can't sue for bad things in the future that haven't occurred. It's not like you can get a district court to say, and the government under no circumstances will ever do X. Well, are they doing X? No. Right. So they're not going to act. That's not how the world works. They're not. They're not going to do that. And so, so the the idea and the idea that there's some sort of immediate reliance interest, and so that now it's too late to sue. No way. Right. That that can't be the. It can't be the case that an illegal act by the president creates reliance interests. It's that, not reasonable reliance. You have to have reasonable reliance for yeah. reliance, and it's unreasonable to rely on this act, which is first of all done before an election. Uh, is is uh, obviously with, with where the beneficiaries are a, are a demographic group that he's doing particularly poorly with the eighteen to the thirty five crowd he, and and there are, the other thing is three hundred White House staff have these loans and can be have them forgiven in this amount. I mean, there's a lot going on here, even beyond the administrative state, that's bad and might get it reversed, but. But I, I do want to just say one thing. But, yeah. but you know what? The, uh, just yeah. on the White House staff point, because yeah. I've heard a couple of people mention that. I, I think it's a great point from a talking point standpoint. If the president wanted to unilaterally forgive the loans of all 300 White, White House staffers and take that out of the White House budget, I think he could do that. I don't think you have to forgive $300 billion 
for everybody in order to take care of the White House staff. Ah, so I'm a little bit that's an interesting you know, argument. I'm a little bit skeptical that that that's what's driving this. No, but, but the electoral point, I think, absolutely. The, the argument is, is that who's doing these briefings, who's telling, who's pushing him to do this. Ah, okay. okay. So I, I also he think might only be getting a one-sided version. Version, of, exactly. <laughs> uh, there's nobody the in, the, in the White House who doesn't have a college degree. But I will I will say the other thing is is that. The other thing that makes this amazing is there's tons of loan forgiveness programs that Congress has done. It's done some from the military. It's done some if you work in nonprofits. You told me there's one for if you worked in Congress, right? Yeah, I think for Capitol because, Hill staffers. Right. So they, they don't go into the big law firms and make the big money. So they, they've set this up if you do this for a long time. So it's not like there aren't legitimate loan uh, forgiveness programs that Congress knows about, set up, did everything, specified gave, in specified, detail, gave, often named after members of Congress, <laughs> and gave the executive power to like do the the uh, the edges around it. But this out of nowhere, and and the other thing is here, there are opinions um, for both Nancy Pelosi and the the prior. Um, uh, administration internally that this you don't have this power yeah that, well was the was it the general counsel at the secretary of under the secretary of education in the last administration yeah. who had looked at this and said no way no how yeah exactly and so th there's that so let's talk a little about the problems of suing over this so that why hasn't why isn't there immediate suits everywhere so you've mentioned ripeness right you yeah. can't go around suing about something that hasn't happened yet and may never happen because it's a waste of judicial resources. You can't really figure out what the facts are. I mean, there's, there's, we don't like the way the government uses the rightness doctrine. We think a lot of times it's just hooey, but, but it's there for a reason. Right. They ought to at least have to do something wrong before we do them. I mean, I, you know, there may be exceptions to that. But, That's a uh, radical proposition. Uh, well, you know, I, <laughs> well, it's becoming, it's becoming a less and less radical uh, proposition uh, as the, as the government does more and more radical things. Uh, to think that you might have to sue them prematurely, but uh, uh, but but let's assume that we so the ripeness that that's why they couldn't have been sued sooner. But now the question is, well, how do you sue them now? And and you know, a lot of people seem to not understand that you have to have a client in order to bring a lawsuit. NCLA can't just go and sue on our own behalf. We don't have standing to do that. There has to be someone with standing to bring a suit. You can't go into federal court and say, "I don't like this." Right. Well, how's it affecting you? Uh, well, you don't have. I mentioned I don't like it, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't have taxpayer standing in the federal government. Some states do, but you don't have it. You can't just say I'm a taxpayer. I get to sue about anything that taxes go to. Um, so taxpayer standing's out. Uh, you can't say that I paid my. How about I paid my loans? Well, then how are you hurt, right? You know, even uh, in the Bible, the guy who's 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 who works well, only for one hour, and you can't. Right. Well, that's true. There's <laughs> the, the the parable of the talents, but there's also the 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 idea that. Uh, if you're talking about a government benefit, I can't go in and complain that you got a tax cut, or I can't go in and complain that, I, that you got veterans benefits and I, I'm not a veteran. I don't get benefits that, you know, that's not, that's not a viable complaint. Oh, and so, so the, all of these reasons, and then, well, it, do you think people who get the, who go in, cause I think you have to apply for the loan forgiveness, right? You do. And that's going to be administered by the department of education. So there are some people have said, well, you know, the APA doesn't apply to this because it's presidential action. But I'm not so sure about that, because I think that the, the Department of Education is going to have to be involved here. And this uh, the opinion, the prior opinion says the APA would apply. OK, so I think whether the APA applies or not is going to be a big thing, I guess the uh, but but 
right there, you've got the problem. That and that's the Administrative Procedure Act. Right. The, for that, those who are, that's right. Who are not. But uh, if they don't know that, are they? Why are they listening to us? Right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think that, so I do think. I try not to ask that question, John. <laughs> <laughs> so I do think, though, so there's another problem with suing is that people have to apply. Are the people who are going to apply for this loan forgiveness going to sue the government? I, I don't see it. Um, and, and so well, would, would that person have? Let's assume that someone who's getting the forgiveness wanted to sue. What? How are they being harmed by having their loans forgiven? I have no that, idea. That might be a tough right. sell as well. Uh, now, maybe you could. Maybe you could say, look, I'm trying to establish good credit, and you've taken away my ability to establish good credit. How about how about this? It's for people making less than, I can't believe this number, $125,000, right? So that's, I think, something like two to almost three times the... Um, Poverty level, uh, yeah, poverty line. Or, or, yeah, or, or even I think the average wage, family wage somewhere around 55000 60000 It's like twice that. Um, and these are for oftentimes single people. I, I think that, um, I, I, what if I have 126000 Why? Well, could I sue? Could I say that it's, it, that it's, it's arbitrary. arbitrary and capricious that this guy over here is getting $10,000 benefit and I'm not? And if we're going to be lawless, can't we be lawless all the way? <laughs> I mean, well, I think you could certainly, certainly under the APA, you could make that kind of a claim, yes. right? Because if you're, if you're, if you're complaining about it, if, if this were legislation, you couldn't make that, yeah. that complaint, right? Because Congress is allowed to be arbitrary Correct. and draw those sorts of lines, but agencies aren't. Right. And the president can't make up for that deficit by ordering the agency to do something arbitrary. Right. And why, how did he pick that number? I don't know. Did he pick it out of a hat? I mean, that is that is something. But then if well, it might cover all those 300 staffers at the White House right. we're talking about. But, but isn't the remedy then isn't the remedy then to just give him the subsidy too? or it's not to strike down the statute or the other thing. I mean, that's my other problem in, in terms of the remedy that, that the person would be asking. Right. For. Exactly. Like, how do you ask for the whole program to go away? Right. That's still your your complaint of what's injuring you is a little different. Well, that's why I like the idea of, of maybe saying that your injury is that you're trying to establish good credit and yeah. that, and that uh, you know, by having your, uh, your ability to repay your loans taken away, that you know, you, you're not able to establish good credit. It's only partial, though. It's only like $10,000, I think. Of, well, maybe. That might, do, that might be everything, right? Yeah, that, that could might be, be everything, that could for, be a lot everything of for some people. Yeah, yeah for sure. So, uh, so it, it, it is a difficult problem, um, I, I think. But, but let me let me say, John, if if there are folks out there listening and I and we do, we know that there are some lawyers who listen to this uh, broadcast. If you have a, a bright idea of who would have standing or, or how to do this, I'm, I'm all ears. We have some internal ideas. We're kicking this around. Uh, I anticipate filing a lawsuit at some point on this issue, uh, but I'm, I'm open to suggestions from folks who who may uh, may know the education uh, bureaucracy better, may know the student loan industry better. Uh, one of the suggestions that was made to me, John, was that uh, we should represent uh, one of the banks uh, who's not getting the loan payments anymore. And I had to tell this person, uh, you're, you're about 20 years out of date. The, the, the Department of Education took over all of these as direct loans. When you and I went to school, yes. uh, uh, my loans came from Capital Federal Bank in Olathe, Kansas. I had, uh, another, I had another. It was like whatever that program was, but it was administered by banks. I'm trying to remember. Oh, like Stafford Loan Stafford or something loan. like yep. that. Yep. Yeah, Stafford Loan. Sure, but and I think mine might have been as well. But it was administered by a uh, by a private bank, and they you know, they got to keep a portion of the right. money that was paid back, and so it was subsidized loan. Right. But it was still through a private bank. Right. If that were the world we were in, 
that would be the obvious candidate for someone to sue uh, over this. But because the Department of Education correctly, I don't think that one's available anymore. But we'll figure something out and we'll report back. Uh, in So uh, welcome back to Administrative Static. Uh, there has been an uh, op-ed that was in the New York Times, August 19th, by professors Ryan D. Dorfler of, uh, of Harvard and Samuel Moyne, a professor at Yale. I've heard uh, of those schools, but not those professors. Uh, I had not either, but uh, they uh, seem to be the ne plus ultra of uh, progressivism at those two schools. And- um, That's saying something. <laughs> exactly. And, and I don't- uh, and, In Latin. And, and so, <laughs> and so um, it, the thing is this, so uh, our, our friend Dan McLaughlin and Ed, Ed Whelan have written on this. And I wanna draw attention to it because we all hear, right now we have big fights about who's, who's for- Ben the, Scully's nephew? Yeah. <laughs> Who's for the rule of law and who's not for the rule of law and what that means. And I saw a poll out the other day that uh, like the number one issue for the American people are the rule of law. And a lot of people said that's like the January 6th thing. But if you looked at it, it was a whole host of other people. It was too high a number. And this is the other attack on the rule of law that we don't hear about so much, or they don't call it an attack on the rule of law, although these guys are pretty open about it. Um, and this it, wolf comes as a wolf. This wolf comes as a wolf. And, and let me tell you what they say here. Um, they say when liberals lose in the Supreme Court, as they increasingly increasingly have over the past half century. Now, I would say 15 years. Uh, but anyway, they, they, there was a little recalculation in the 70s on criminal law. But come on. They usually say the justices got the Constitution wrong. But struggling over the Constitution has proved a dead end. That means they're losing, right? It's a dead end. It's only a dead end That's because right. they're losing. I mean, if- They if don't I, like the results. Right. If I don't want there to be a second amendment, I could repeal the second amendment, or I could say there's no such thing as the second amendment, losing court, and then say, well, this is a dead end. Right. Come on. This is illegitimate. We need to ditch this constitution. <laughs> the real need is not to reclaim the constitution as many would have it, meaning there are many progressive um, constitutionalists who believe the constitution has within it their, their preferred outcomes. And they have law review articles and they're doing this. And these folks are like Alexander, how you get rid of the uh, Gordinian knot. You don't untie it, you cut it. Um, and they say, uh, but instead to reclaim America from constitutionalism. Well, the thing is America is in large part constitutionalism. The reason you know we're on the first Republic and the French are on the fifth is that at some point the French always decide, ah, this constitution, no one will follow it, ah, we go. And and then of course there's riots in the streets and the fourth Brumar or whatever it is. I mean, and then, and it's horrible, violent paroxysms. And uh, except in uh, one major case, we've avoided that. Um, and, and so the constitutionalism, the fact that most Americans 
think the Constitution is the way to go and to amend it is the way to go um, or to take a new approach to, to getting your, your or even just putting different guys on the Supreme Court. I don't like that way. But the fact is, it, it at least. Well, that's how FDR amended the Constitution. Exactly. Right. I mean, 28 it was, guys. It was primarily through uh, uh, a non-amendment strategy. I mean, Bruce Ackerman has talked about speaking of Yale law professors has, right. has talked about the 1930s and what the Supreme Court did there as, as effectively amending the Constitution. Yeah, so is Epstein, a lot of folks have. And, and the thing is, exactly. So when they, what did they do though? The one advantage that has is they used political power to, to at least use the right instruments. Well, FDR won overwhelming majorities. Correct. Yeah. For 20 years. Yeah. So the idea of constitutionalism, which tells me he should have moved for some amendments. I don't know why. The only thing they did during his period was repeal prohibition. He had like votes for tons of stuff. Anyway. Well, don't forget the 22nd Amendment. I mean, that wasn't during his time, <laughs> no, but it correct. was shortly after his correct. time and specifically because of and And, and, that, and that's the one terms. that is only uh, two, two terms for a president. Anyway, I want to go back to Dorfler and Samuel Moyne and the Constitution is broken and should not be reclaimed. The idea of constitutionalism is that there needs to be some higher law that is more difficult to change than the rest of the legal order. That's really not it. It's also that it's a written law that anyone can look at and know what the law means. And this is not gonna allow that. Um, having a constitution is about setting more sacrosanct rules than the ones the legislators can pass day to day. And this is pre presentism is what it is. They want whoever is in charge right now to be able to change any law for any reason, which as far as if you care about individual liberties, that is just dangerous. That is ancient Greece, where one day they make a guy a general, and the next day they decide they don't like him, and they kill him, right, just by majority vote. Uh, who thinks we should kill this guy? Oh, we do. Oh, 51%. He's out. No no life for you. Um, anyway, he says, so it's, they, they say that it's, it's um, broken, and they said, arming for war over the Constitution concedes in advance that the left must translate its politics into something consistent with the past. But everybody has to do that. It's not left or right. Everyone has to make something consistent with the past, including a break with the past. You say, this is how we do things. We want to do things differently. Now we need an amendment or to change the law. Everybody has to reckon with the past. The, the past isn't going away. It, it, it exists. It, 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 it fills people's minds and their experiences. And the idea that only the left has to deal with the past is, is, is not true. Bunk them. Yes. So in making calls to regain ownership of our founding charter, progressives have disagreed about strategy and tactics more than about the crucial, this crucial goal. And then they go through court packing and stripping jurisdiction um, and all this other stuff. And, and they don't like all their progressive friends who have said the, the, the Constitution's good and the Bill of Rights is good and all these things are good. Um, and they say that... Um, so uh, one reason for these woeful outcomes, and their woeful outcomes are, uh, you know, the, the fact that, that uh, we don't have some sort of Soviet constitution, as far as I can figure out from it. Starting with a text that is famously undemocratic, progressives are forced to navigate hardwired features like the Electoral College and the Senate. Now, it's not famously undemocratic. When the Constitution was formed, it was famously democratic. In fact, even, even well into the 19th century, Lord Acton said that the Constitution is all sail and no keel. Uh, so from, and, and that is from the most liberal country in the world besides ours. The, the outside observers thought it was overly democratic was its problem, not that it was under-democratic. So again, they've stolen a base that is not known. Yeah, I'm sure on the Upper West Side or in Cambridge, it's famously undemocratic, but not in the world. 
Um, anyway, sometimes reclaiming the Constitution is presented as a much needed step toward empowering the people and their elected representatives. And so they-, well, they and, and Acton said that at a time when senators weren't even directly elected. That's, that's right. And, but they, they were elected by people who were directly elected, right? So there was, there was some, um, so then he says that what we should do is- uh, Kind of like the president and the electoral college. More aggressively, Congress could simply, pa simply pass a Congress act. Oh, let me tell you some of the things they do. Um, if the legislature just passed rules and protect values majorities believe in, the distinction between higher law and everyday politics effectively disappears. One way to get this, to this more democratic world is to pack the union with new states. Doing so would allow Americans to then use formal amendment process to alter the basic rules of the politics and break the false deadlock that the Constitution imposes. And there's a hyperlink here, but they mean having the District of Columbia and any other group they can that is highly, highly liberal become a uh, Senate. They can get two senators. But not Northern California. No, no, no. North of, no, none of, North of Marin County. Yeah, none, kind of, of that. none of that. Okay. More aggressively, Congress could simply pass a Congress Act reorganizing our legislature in ways that are more fairly representative of where people actually live and vote, and perhaps even reducing the Senate to a mere council of revision, a term James Bowie used to describe the Canadian Senate, without the power to obstruct laws. In so doing, Congress would be pretty openly defying the Constitution to get a more democratic order. For that reason, we need to insulate the law from judicial review. Fundamental values like racial equality or environmental justice would be protected, not by laws that stand apart from politics, but as they typically are, by ordinary expressions of popular will. You know, how, you know how racial uh, uh, justice was protected by democratic rule for so long in the United <laughs> States? Do you remember those, those, those years? Wait a minute. I, I think the popular will recall, was a problem. I seem to recall that was a problem a, for a politics, Talk about presentism. Can you imagine a politics of the American future like this would make clear our ability to engage in constant reinvention of society under our own power without the illusion that the past stands in the way. Now, I cannot tell you how hostile I am to this thought. I, you know, uh, Professor Seidman, who was at Georgetown and now at Harvard, had said we should do the same thing. And, but he had like a little codicil that, oh, the Bill of Rights will still be fine. But the whole thing is a structure. You can't pull away unconstitutionally, not by amendment, but you can't pull away unconstitutionally one part of it and think the house is gonna stand up. These people all remind me of the old Warner Brother cartoons where Bugs Bunny is on the tree limb and he cuts off the tree limb and the tree falls away and he's on the limb he likes, standing in midair. They think they're Bugs Bunny and that, and that Chuck Jones is gonna keep them in the air on their tree limb that they like while the whole structure collapses. It is, it is. With uh, some opera music going in the background. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Instead of kill the wab and it's kill the constitution, kill the constitution. <laughs> and, and I just cannot, cannot for the life of me. These are intelligent people. What do they think? Do they ever see over the horizon, even just the next day after that they've gotten rid of the constitution? I mean, I, I, I know. They haven't they, seen a man for all seasons, no, apparently. No, exactly. They don't like that guy. Uh, and and there's a famous scene in it where uh, where uh, Thomas More says that um, says that uh, he asks his would you cut down all the laws in the kingdom to get at the devil and he said I would sir and uh, he says oh and when they're all cut down and the devil turns on you where would you hide and and that is exactly it the idea that we have a permanent progressive majority in this country is not borne out by events even of the last thirty years. You have uh, some progressive things that are very popular and some that are not. Um, you know, one thing they've been. Uh, these are all these are all Woodsby 
Robespierre's who are going to get eaten by their own revolution. Well, the one I think about all the time is the death penalty, where there, the Supreme Court has been very careful on how you get the death penalty because they don't want there to be any problems. But I will tell you this, there are states and places and even uh, national majorities that uh, for child killers and things like that, they could take away all kinds of protections to go go after the child killers, which obviously um, many people think there should be a death penalty for. But what I'm worried about more than that is that they'll take away all the due process so that, oh, I called him a child killer. Well, I guess that's it. <laughs> He's been called a child killer. Now we get to kill him. I mean, this is a crazy idea if you care about any kind of liberty. I agree. Uh, 100%. And, uh, and I'm glad you called it to the audience's attention. And tell us again the name of the article, where, where they can find it. It's in the New York Times on August 19th. The Constitution is broken and should not be reclaimed. Until next time, thank you for joining us on the Mr. Jennings.